0: comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32, and I'm going to read that for you. The words should be on the screen as well. You can follow along. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me and leave everything I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance.
1: All right, hey guys, I'm Mike, one of the leaders here. And we just finished our relationship series called Friend Zone. And guys, just to remind you, we, the Lord has given us the word influencer to take through the entire year. So uh, we started off with our DNA and Kingdom Disciples Society Church. And we went into influencing through relationships. And then now we're starting a new series today called Welcome Home. Uh, Meals with Jesus. Here's a series description. It is, it's all about sharing Jesus with others. Uh, So it says sharing Jesus with others doesn't have to be awkward, intimidating, out of the ordinary. Sharing Jesus can actually be inviting, exciting, and simple. And Jesus himself gave us a model for doing just this. He showed us that we get to welcome healing, welcome forgiveness, welcome abundance, welcome sacrifice, welcome expectation. And what you're able to receive, you're able to give so then we're able to say to others, welcome home. And you'll see throughout the progression of this series, we'll go through different themes. Today we're talking about welcome healing and what that means in sharing our faith. And in sharing our faith, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're trying to, in this series, reintroduce this notion, reintroduce this concept, because if you looked at studies over the past few years, uh, or a few decades, I should say, us as a church, in the church at large, the church in general, Christians, we have moved from being apathetic about sharing our faith, and this is done through surveys and studies, uh, apathetic about sharing our faith. So we've just lacked interest in it, to us thinking, "Oh, well, it's just kind of awkward. Like I don't know if we should, if I if I want to do this anymore. It's just kind of awkward for me to share our faith." To now, a study just came out recently in the past couple of months where. People think, and when I say people, I mean Christians, we think it's, at least half of us think it's morally wrong to share our faith, to evangelize. And and when we talk about evangelism, we're talking about sharing the good news of Jesus. Uh, But uh, that word itself has become kind of a bad word for us, even in the church. Outside the church, it's definitely that way. You know, We work with the city in so many different regards, and they say, hey, don't, don't do that evangelism thing. Don't proselytize here. Uh, but when I say, well, if someone asks, and we just share who we are, they're like, oh, that's fine. So, so through this series, I won't be using the word evangelism. I'll, I'll be using the, I'll just use the phrase sharing our faith, but you know what I mean. Uh, because you see these studies inside the church where we move from apathy to awkwardness, to now we think it's morally wrong to even share our faith with others. And that's that's the impetus behind this series. We want to we sh- start to reshape what it means for us to share Jesus with other people, to introduce him with Jesus. So we'll go through the book of Luke over the next eight weeks, and we'll talk about, uh, we'll look at different encounters Jesus has with people around the table, around the meal. And so we'll go through these different meals and talk about how Jesus just naturally lives his life and introduces people to himself, and we can do the same thing. So I've had I've had a lot of injuries in my life, nothing bad, uh, but I feel like as I get older, I have more and more injuries. Some of you guys are smiling because you've been there for some of those injuries, and uh, I I mean I've sprained my ankle really badly the past twice in the past year and a half or so. I'm still doing physical therapy to get over over that. Uh, You guys know, just a few weeks ago, I was in King Station and someone someone popped my finger. Uh, It's still healing. Uh, I broke my finger playing football, just like the tip of this here. Uh, I've had a big chunk taken out of my thigh when I was growing up, just like riding my bike. Uh, But my worst injury, uh, and again, nothing like really bad or serious, but my worst injury was when I was 12 years old. I was riding my bike, or I was racing with a friend. My best friend and I, we were riding around the neighborhood and, and we were racing and we had this like course mapped out that we were going on. And, and I was going way too fast, and I was trying to turn a corner, and as I was turning the corner, I didn't turn enough, and I didn't want to slow down my speed, right, because I wanted to win. So I, I didn't turn enough, and I hit the curb, went flying off. Uh, my, my shoulder right here hit a tree, and around the tree, and that was fine, actually. You'd think it would have broken my collarbone, but it didn't. Uh, around the tree there were bricks and laid around the tree. And one of the bricks, the corner was up and it sliced my knee open to the kneecap. So like, I just had a big old piece of knee hanging off. And, and yeah, and if you, guys, if you guys were there for that, you would have said, you need to go see a doctor. You would have said, you need to go get that taken care of. And if, and, and if I would have said, I mean, I, out of all these injuries, I needed to get something done. And if you were there and, and I would have said, well, no, I'm okay, like it'll heal on its own. You would have said, no, 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 like you're gonna bleed out. Like you're, I can see your kneecap. Like you're, got <laughs> you a big chunk of knee hanging off your leg and your leg is all bloody. And I'm like, no, 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 it's, it's okay, I'm, I'm fine. Like time will heal it. You'd say, no, okay, I think you're, you're either delusional Uh, you're in shock, you're in denial, or you're just plain dumb, right? Because you actually need to go see a doctor. You would say you should get that cleaned out at the very least, like you should get it cleaned out or else infection might set in. You might have bacteria all up in there, rocks and dirt, I don't know, Uh, brick. Maybe there's a piece of brick in there. You'd say you may need stitches, and I had to get a lot of stitches in that knee. You, you may say, hey, maybe you should get some stitches, you should go at least, at least go to the doctor. I mean, we're in Canada, right? It's free. I Go, go to the doctor, get it taken care of, get it checked out, and, and maybe even do some physical therapy, right? And all that would be great advice. All that, I, I would give all that advice to, to my daughters, to, to any of you. Uh, and we would all say, yeah, that makes sense. The problem is, we take that advice for physical injuries but we don't take that advice for spiritual, emotional, and mental injuries. And we, and we would all agree you need to do those things. You gotta get it cleaned out. You gotta get it stitched up. You gotta get that taken care of. You should go see a physician. But we stop at the physical. And when it's something emotional, when someone has done something to us, when, when there's a hurt in our soul, when there's a wound in us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we're like, ah, it's okay. It'll, it'll heal over time. That's a, that's a common cliche, right? Time heals all wounds, or I don't know, is that how it goes? Yeah. Something like that, right? Um, I was thinking like share time after time, and you guys, I, I'm too old. <laughs> you guys, no one, everyone's like, who is share? <laughs> uh, and 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 so for spiritual, emotional, mental things, we have to do that. And we have to do the same thing. And our problem is, we don't want to face the hurt, we don't want to face the pain, we don't want to face the suffering. It's like if we do face it, it's actually real, and we gave power to someone, and, and, they're, and they, they did something to us. And so, so we don't want to give that to them, so we just ignore it, and we bury it, and we hide it, and we let the enemy have his way with it, and bitterness, resentment, all those things set in. But in order for healing to take place, your wounds have to be faced. And that's the bottom line for today, that as we go through this passage, Jesus is inviting us into healing. When we share our faith, we're inviting people into healing. We're showing them that Jesus is here to heal them, that he wants them to come in. And most people in our world, and even you guys here, us in the church, we're like, ah, we don't, I don't know. We don't need that. We kind of take a step back and we're like, I'm not sure about that. But in this passage we see healing take place. So go look at at, uh, the scriptures with me, you can look on the screen, or if you have a Bible you can follow there. Uh, This is Luke 5 verse 27, it says, Luke writing, after this he went out, speaking of Jesus, so after this Jesus went out, and let me stop there because after this you should ask, well after what? what? What just happened? Well what just happened was Jesus just started his ministry and he's going about the countryside healing a bunch of people. So he goes to, he meets Simon, Simon Peter, and his mother in law is sick, she has a fever, and he heals her and everyone hears about it. So people flock to Jesus for healing. And and so he's healing a bunch of people, he's preaching, he's calling the disciples, he's casting out demons, He cleansed someone with leprosy. He healed someone who was paralyzed. And guys, the kingdom is being ushered in. Like Jesus is ushering in the kingdom in these moments. But yet people still aren't believing. Like people are coming to him for physical healing, but they're still not believing anything else. And not everybody's coming to him. Why not? Why is that? It's because they don't realize they need healing. Or they don't think they do. They think they're well. So he goes out, and he saw a tax collector named Levi. Levi is also the name of Matthew, the one who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, who is one of Jesus' disciples. So here Luke calls him Levi. So he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax booth. There's, so tax collectors in, in this day were, were triple threats in a bad way, not like singing, dancing, and acting. <laughs> Right, is that what the triple threat is? Okay, yeah. This is, who is it? Never mind. So they're in a bad way. Uh, so tax collectors were, one, they worked for the oppressors. They worked for the Roman, the Roman government. And the Roman government was oppressing their nation, their people. And tax collectors had basically sold out. And they were considered traitors because of that. Uh, two, they, they stole money from people. So they would go, go to houses. They would say, hey, you need to pay 10%. Uh, but then they would add like 15% on that. And they would extort people for money. So they were thieves and they are robbers. And they weren't looked at well. So it's not just bad enough that they were traitors. They actually stole from their own people to get rich off of them. And then three, they had, they had constant or consistent contact with Gentiles. And, and in, in this day, because of the history of Israel, so god hasn't spoken in about 400 years 4 to 500 years and and you have the close of the old testament you have this period this intertestamental period and then jesus shows up on the scene in matthew right and and or in the gospels and you have and you have the start of jesus of the lord speaking again but in those years they're trying to get their nation back and and the way they thought to do it was through purity they thought if we're pure enough God will come and rescue us. God will come. And so the Pharisees in that time rise up. And that's where the Pharisees come from. So when you read the New Testament, it's like, it's like they just assume you know the Pharisees exist, but you can't really find them in the Old Testament. Well, they came into existence in that four to 500-year period. Okay? And the Pharisees were all about purity. And so they took the Mosaic Law... And, and they took it down from a corporate level, from a national level, and they made it very, very individual because they said if we could do this in our home and, we could, and everybody could be pure and religious and, and holy and we can make ourselves that way. It was all religion, right? We can make ourselves that way. We we're going to usher in the kingdom of God and he's going to come and rescue us from oppression. And that's the background here. That's why in Matthew and Sermon on the Mount, you hear Jesus say, oh, you've heard it was said this, but I'm actually telling you this. All that is coming up in this period. And and so you have here Romans, tax collectors, and and you have this guy, Levi, who uh, cheats his own people, who betrayed his own people by working for the oppressors, and he's in consistent contact with Gentiles, which goes against all the purity that the Pharisees say people should have of Israel. So they're like, these guys, we don't associate with them. They're basically untouchables. Like, we don't want to have anything to do with them. And the tax, tax collector was like, whatever. Like, we're bank, we're, we're making a lot of money, and we don't, we don't care what you think about us. And so Levi is one of these people. Not a, not a very good person, uh, most people would say in that, in that day and age. So he's sitting at his tax booth. Jesus walks by and says to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, Levi rose and followed him. And in one moment, levi in the same moment that Levi gives up everything, he gains everything. You see that? It says he gave up everything to follow Jesus, and he followed him, and he gains everything. Do you see your faith like that? Do you see that exchange when you chose to follow Jesus? And what is he giving up? I mean, he's, he, gave up, he gave up money, he gave up maybe his idols of success. He maybe gave up uh, his job. He gave up sin. He gave up, he's, he's giving up a lifestyle. Maybe he's giving up his livelihood. He's, he's giving up a lot of things to follow Jesus and he just does it because Jesus says, follow me. And he gets up and he follows him. And, and here he, he has this exchange where, where he gets everything. And we're gonna see this in verse, in verse 29 how much joy and excitement he has. But he just leaves that booth and and walks away from that lifestyle. Now, Jesus didn't tell him to do that. Okay, just to be clear, Jesus didn't tell him, give up your job, give up your livelihood. Jesus isn't telling you that today. Don't, don't like, mishear me. Actually, two chapters before this, two or three chapters before this, John the Baptist is baptizing all these people. People are repenting, coming to the Lord, and there's a group of tax collectors that come to him and say, hey, what should we do now? Should we give up our jobs? Should we leave? And he's like, no, 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 don't, you don't have to give up your livelihood necessarily. He says, just stop cheating people. (laughs) Just stop sinning in your job. Like, just you can stay your job, just stop sinning in it. And and he has soldiers come up to him and say, hey, what should we do? Should we leave? And he's like, no, no, no. Just just stop bullying people. And and so Jesus isn't necessarily telling Levi to leave everything, but he sees the immense value in doing that, in making that exchange. So he does that, and in verse 29 it says, Levi made him a great feast, and he does it in his house, and there's a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. It's very significant. So Levi, like I said, throughout this series, we're going go to go through Luke and look at different meals that Jesus has with people, and Levi here, in all of his excitement, and all of his joy, he throws a party to bring all of his friends, it's tax collectors and others, right? He's bringing, he invites all his friends to do what? To introduce them to Jesus, to meet Jesus. He throws this great feast for Jesus, in honor of Jesus, for him, so that other people can meet him. And he invites all his tax collector friends and, and, and others. We don't know who's in the, and others, but well, we'll see, there's one group in there uh, later, but he, he brings a whole bunch of other people in there, and they're just partying, guys. And it's not this awkward, hey, tax collector friends, let me, can, can I sit you down and take you through the Romans road and, and tell you you're a sinner and you need Jesus and you're going to hell and I have the answer for you? Like, that's how we share our faith today, right? We're like, we're, we get so, that's why it's so awkward for us. And, and because we sit down and like make it, ah, oh, this, this big thing about like beliefs and theology. And guys, that's important. You guys know I was a theology professor. I love theology, like, Theology and beliefs are important, but how about we just share life with people? I mean, how about we just sit down next to somebody and invite them to the table? Sociologists for a long, long time have recognized the significance in sitting around the table with somebody and sharing a meal. They say that there's these certain boundary markers you have in life, and one of those is eating with somebody. And many cultures have, cultures have different, different um, beliefs on this. Our culture is a little more removed from like a collective culture that, that just enjoys time around the table. And our culture today, I mean, think about this. When's the last time you sat around a table and, and ate? Some of you guys, it's like, well, I haven't done that in a long time. Um, and when I say when you sat around a table, I don't mean with your devices. I mean in conversation sharing stories. Uh, We make it a habit in our family to sit around our dinner table and and, uh, almost every night, almost every day we do this, and and we sit down and we enjoy each other's presence, we celebrate Jesus, we talk about our days, we swap stories, and even when our girls are really young, we could sit around that table for an hour or two hours and just do that. And there's some of the most significant times in our family's life happen around a, a table where we're breaking bread together. And as followers of Jesus, what happens when we break bread together? We're supposed to remember Jesus, right? We're supposed to celebrate Jesus. We don't just do it here when we break bread in communion. Like we commune and have fellowship around the table together. And so there's something really significant about this. When you invite someone in, it displays this level of intimacy that you may not have had with someone before. It invites them into that and invites them into acceptance, especially in cultures like this, uh, this eastern cultures where, where food is this really big part of, of life. Uh, it sounds weird because food is a part of our life too, but a lot of times we just eat to survive, right? Um, but there it's like they're celebrating their parties and and, and it conveys this level of acceptance you have with somebody. So that's what's happening here. Tax collector friends, Jesus, others, they're all meeting around this table. And Levi is like, hey, let me tell you about this guy. And they're reclining at the table with them. And verse 30, enter the Pharisees. So the Pharisee and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, at Jesus' disciples. And just to note, this doesn't really have any significance for us at this point, but this is the first time in the, in the book of Luke that Jesus' disciples are called the disciples. So I just think that's, that's kind of cool. Uh, but that's, that's here. So the scribes and Pharisees are grumbling at his disciples saying, why? Why do you do this? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, guys, the Pharisees here didn't have a problem with eating and drinking. The problem, with, the problem was with who was invited to eat and drink, who was invited to the party. They loved the party. They wanted to have a feast, but they didn't want those people at the feasts. And you see here a change in language. It goes from Luke saying he invited tax collectors and others to the Pharisees using language saying, why did you drink with tax collectors and sinners? And so they have this righteous indignation towards those that have been invited to the table. Because they say, they're not pure enough. They're not holy enough to to be here. We are, but they're not. And there's this, like I said, this righteous indignation for it. Who do you have a problem with at the party? Who do you not want invited to the party? And we look at the Pharisees and we're like, oh, we're not like them. And in the older generation, I feel like, in, in, the, in, our, in our city, our city, talking about in our context, in our city, the older generations had a problem with who was invited to the party like the Pharisees did in terms of sinners. Like, oh, they're not worthy enough. They're, they're, they're not holy. They're not, they're living this t- type of lifestyle. I feel like in, in the newer generation, most of you guys don't have a problem with that because we live in this culture of tolerance and acceptance, right? And so we don't have a problem with that, but we do have a problem with those who have a problem with it. You follow me there? So it's not that we don't have righteous indignation anymore. Our righteous indignation has just shifted to having righteous indignation to those who have righteous indignation. You got me? And we don't invite them to the party because we say they're bigots. We say they're fill in your, fill in your blank. And, and we've, we've moved to this new new pharisaical position as, as people in our city. But when, you, when we go through the Gospels, when we go through Luke and we see all these meals, you'll see that Jesus doesn't have a problem with who, anybody who's at the party. He wants everybody to come in. He's not saying you should be healed and you shouldn't. He's not saying you should meet me and you shouldn't. He doesn't have a problem with that. He's saying Pharisees, yeah. Scribes, sure. Tax collectors, yes. Sinners, that category that the First he's used, sure. Others, yes. Prostitutes, sure. He's inviting everybody to the party. And he's the invitation is, is wide open. And here we are as a church choosing who gets invited to the party and who doesn't. For us as a church, as Trinity Life Church, we want to model Jesus in this. We want to bring everyone into the party. We don't want to be the ones to stand in judgment and choose who gets invited and who doesn't. All right? It's why we're here. It's why we're in St. Jamestown. I mean, look around us, guys. We're in St. Jamestown. To the east of us is Cabbage Town. To the north of us is Rosedale. To the south of us is Seeing House. To the west of us is the village. We want all of them at the party. And all those neighborhoods are completely different and distinct than this one. And we want to invite everybody to the party. And someone, I, I always get this question actually. I get this question a lot. Uh, but someone asked me this past week too um, How do you feel about uh, the other ch- other churches being so close together on the east end of downtown like we are? Uh, and, and I was like, What do you mean? And they're like, Well, there's, there's a, not a lot of people. And I was like, Well, it hit me then that when people ask this question, they're operating in a church framework, a church mindset. Right? As, as you know, as a church, we operate in a kingdom framework, a kingdom mindset. And I, so I always say, well, there's tens of thousands of people right around where we are, um, but they're operating in a church framework where they say, you guys are like, you guys are trying to do a service so that Christians come to your service. And I'm like, well, no, that's not. That's not how we operate. We operate in a kingdom framework, which means right here, right here in this neighborhood, there's tens of thousands of people. You add in all the other neighborhoods, you have tens of thousands. You add in the core of Toronto, you have hundreds of thousands of people who need healing, who need Jesus, who need to be introduced to Jesus, invited to the dinner table to say, yes, this is Jesus. And that's who we're after, guys. Can you imagine if all of us in this room, listening online, in our church, if all of us took the course of this series or even the next month and invited someone who needs healing, who needs Jesus, to the table to introduce them to Jesus? Could you do that? Could you actually think of someone over the next month that needs Jesus and invite them to the table? Could you throw a party and invite them to Jesus, and introduce them to who Jesus is. Could you just share your life with somebody? Could you just swap stories around a table with somebody about what God's doing in your life? If we could all do that, we could see this whole neighborhood transform. Because if we could do that, then teach other people to do that, and they did that, and they teach other people to do that, and they do that, and just keeps on going on and on, and we all invite our friends, then, then we could see this city changed. And we need to think about, like, like, Levi looked at all his friends he said, who are the tax collectors in my life? Who needs healing in my life? That's the question for you today. Who needs healing in your life? Who are the tax collectors? Who are the ones, even, that you say, ah, I don't really want to associate with them? They're, like, they're, they're, they're kind of over there. Maybe there's someone at work who is just, you know you need to love them in the name of Jesus, but they're just annoying and they're frustrating and they're hard to work with and they're angry all the time and you never wanna be around them uh, for whatever reason. You know what they need? Healing. You know where they can find it? Jesus. You know who has that to, to offer them? You. They may not have anyone else in their life to do that And as a church, we looked at our neighborhood and we said, who are the tax collectors? Who are the ones that the church, like, the church historically is against, right? And we said, that's where we want to start, Trinity Life Church, in that neighborhood. And so we want to reach out to people. We want to bring them in. We want to invite them to the table. We want to share life with them. Is that... Is that, I mean, if you talk about it like that and sharing life, sharing stories, does that sound morally wrong to you? Does that sound awkward? We do this stuff all the time, right? Should we be apathetic to it as followers of Jesus? Jesus answers them in the last couple verses here in verse 31. He says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The problem here is that for some of us, we we fall into two different camps here. For some of us, we are we're Pharisees. We don't recognize that we need healing. And we don't recognize that there's so many people around us that need healing. We just think that person's angry or disgruntled and they hate us. And we don't think, man, maybe there's something that has happened to them in their life. And, and how do we come alongside them and introduce them to Jesus and to life? And so we're pharisaical in that. And, and we just try not to associate with them and, and try to cut them off. We try to limit it, right? We try to limit it as much as possible. And then others of us, we're just—we've been so separated from Jesus. We've been so steeped in our sin. We've been so blind to our own wounds that we say that, that we don't even realize we need healing. We don't even recognize that that we need that, and that Jesus is there and He's trying to offer that to us. And some of you say, "Well, i don't, I don't need healing." And if you don't, that's amazing because that means Jesus has healed you. And praise God that he has. Uh, But most of us need some form of healing, and we're just unwilling to face the pain that comes along with it. And just as in order for healing to take place, your wounds have to be faced, in order for healing to take place, your sin has to be faced. And that's the power of a savior. When, When this accident happened with my knee, I... I remember telling people that, uh, well, I immediately blamed the bike. And I was, like, I was like, yeah, the brakes didn't work. You know, the brakes, because they fail on bikes all the time. <laughs> and so they didn't work. Or, or I remember saying, oh, well, I, I tried to turn it, but the bike wouldn't turn. And I, and I was like blaming the bike. And we do that. We, we, we tend to project blame on other things. This is, this is the original sin, right, or one of the original sins as part of that package is when Adam eats of the fruit, he, and God says, where are you? What happened? He says, this woman you gave me, and he blames, he blames Eve, and she says, it's the serpent, and she blames the serpent. So there's all this blaming going on, and I was doing the same thing. I was like, it's the bike. When I was the one in control of it, right, it's not that hard to ride a bike, Uh, I mean, no one came and took control of the wheel. Uh, I was the one controlling it. And we do that, guys. We do that with spiritual things, with mental things, with emotional things. We point the finger at other people. We don't take responsibility for our actions. And most of our wounds are actually self-inflicted through our sin. Most of the wounds that you guys experience are because you've done it to yourself. Now, a lot of you guys have had things done to you and have had trauma and have had, had incidents where people sinned against you and, and they, they hurt you and they, and they made you suffer. But are you still in that suffering? Because you should not be. And, and a lot of us that have had trauma done to us, we sit in that negativity, we sit in that hurt and that pain, we never come to Jesus for healing. And we think, oh, well, time will just heal it. Oh, I don't have to do anything about it. When actually, you need to get it cleaned out. You need to get it washed out. But you're afraid that it's going to hurt. Because it will hurt. And you're afraid to admit that there's a wrong done to you. You're afraid to make it real. You're afraid to, to step into that suffering and that pain. And here's the good news, guys. Jesus already stepped into that suffering and pain for you it's not by your wounds that we are healed it's by his wounds that we're healed Amen. do you realize that like he was oppressed for us he was broken for us his blood was shed for us he was he was uh, spat on for us he was mocked for us his body was broken for us his wounds heal us by his stripes we're healed not by yours And so Jesus is here for you. And we get to offer that to people. But you have to receive it for yourself. And so when we share our faith, guys, when we invite people to the table, we get to invite people to healing. But for too long, the church has just stood by and pointed out wounds in people. We're good at pointing out sin in people. We're saying, that's your sin, that's your consequences. But instead of pointing out sin in people, how about we point them to the Savior? We just stop at pointing out sin. We just stop there. And that needs to happen sometimes. We need to show people their wounds. But we need to show them the beauty of the Savior. And it has to come together. And we tend to show people hell without showing them heaven. And we tend people to to condemn people for their sin instead of showing them the beauty of our Savior. And so, when we share our faith, when you when you take the time this month to figure out who should you invite to that table, think about who needs healing, and think about who you get to bring around that table in order to share Jesus with, introduce them to Jesus, share your faith with, swap stories with, and to bring them into renewal, rest, reconciliation, and healing. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word, thank you for thank you for healing. Thank you that we don't have to carry this, that Jesus, you, you've carried it all for us. you have overcome you are and you didn't just crucify it on the cross, you redeemed it through the resurrection. And we praise you for that. thank you so much for that. So Jesus, as we As we approach communion, as we celebrate you, as we remember you, as we talk about your body being broken for us, your blood being shed for us, we just want to say together we love you, Jesus. Heal our wounds. Make us more like you. We ask this in your name. Amen.